y'all. Welcome to Film Suck, a Patreon podcast in which we ponder the work of art in the age of crap cinema and crap television. I'm Eileen Jones. I'm Dolores McElroy. And today we are discussing the highly praised HBO Max series White Lotus, um, which won 10 Emmys for its first season, recently completed its second season, and has been renewed already for a third season. Warning that as usual, there are going to be spoilers galore. So if you haven't caught up with your your viewing you should probably get to it before you listen to this because we're going to tell all so (laughs) let's just start broadly like what do we think and 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 one one parenthetical is you know i'm a late we're kind of late comers to this this has been you know obviously as i said it's already you know won all the emmys in the world you know (laughs) in its kickoff um so that's the context for us we didn't encounter this when it was fresh and new and that might make a big difference so, you know, the reaction to it, so much praise, so much, so many awards, so much reverence is, is of course, coloring our reaction a little bit here. So mm. what do we think, or more than a little bit, what do we think of White Lotus just for starters? Dolores. Oh, man. Okay. My overall take, I've, I've watched both seasons one and two. Um, I actually saw season one when it came out in like oh, you did? 2020. Okay. Yeah. I saw it in Hawaii, uh, which is where it oh. takes place. I was also <laughs> there. Um, but overall, I think that. Uh, I enjoy it as a soap opera. I found Mm -hmm. season one pretty instantly forgettable, very well Mm -hmm. made with good acting. Um, Mm -hmm. Not it. it, it, My main, my primary annoyance with it is that it takes itself more seriously than it is (laughs) as Mm -hmm. a work. (laughs) And um, certainly the awards and the reviews treat it as something with far more depth than it possesses. (laughs) So, Mm Um, that's, you know, whatever I'm, I enjoy soap operas. I have Mm. nothing against them. Um, as a glossy soap opera that keeps you engaged in terms of what's going to happen, this Mm. totally works. You know, it's a diversion. It's fine. Um, it leaves my mind the moment I'm, I'm done watching things pass by on the screen. Mm. Um, I love all the actors. It's, uh, some, but what I mean about the pretentiousness is there are moments throughout that maybe like there's a touch of magical realism um, mm. or like, you know, something that's like a very heavy handed reference to art cinema. And there's a lot of Antonioni reference in the uh, in season two. Mm. And that like doesn't carry it doesn't hold water. Mm. Um so Mike White has said very broadly that season one is a commentary on money. Season two is a commentary on sex. I don't think I learned anything particularly illuminating about the nature of money or sex from either of the seasons. Mm. They, the, uh, you know, they, they, it reads to me or it feels to me like something that was written by um, a very good bourgeois playwright from the mid 20th century. Oh, wow. You know, like Terrence Radigan, you know, um, just like the well-made play, you know? So I, to me, uh, uh, and frankly, I'd much rather watch a Terrence Radigan play. Um, Mm. At least the dialogue is a little more sparkling. It's not Mm. that these are stupid. uh, It's just that this is like satire and commentary that has been made before. It's the Mm. White Lotus is a resort its Mm -hmm. patrons are self-absorbed rich people who have lots of problems with their kids and their relationships and you know you've seen it Mm -hmm. (laughs) you've seen it before um rich people are horrible and self-absorbed the people who work at the hotel and live in the places that cater to tourists um you know don't have great lives and are at the mercy of uh the forces of capital and like Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) Mm -hmm. um 
So uh, I've I've more specifics as we get into it, but overall, my take is like it's a glossy soap, pretty forgettable, uh, not nearly as deep as it uh, as it presents uh, itself mm. to be or as it is received. Right. How about you, Eileen? Well, you know, I'm so I should have been saying I'm speaking for myself that I being such a latecomer, I, I do feel the weight of knowing I'm doing the kind of backlashy against the uh, the hype thing. But mm. unfortunately, I wish I'd seen it when it came out. I should have. Oh, excuse me. Um, I didn't even write the Jacobin review. You know, it would, someone else wrote the, the rave review, calling it a brilliant satire, which is very, very typical. Obviously, it's 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 hugely admired, and I think because it has been hugely admired for such a long time, that coming to it, of course, I have the inevitable, almost inevitable, like what <laughs> um, feeling about it. I mean, I would like to get into like why do we even? I'll try to bring in points that I've read. Like, why is it being received as being so? Because I had exactly that same reaction of like. Are we just too lefty <laughs> that we, I don't feel all that lefty, but I just Mm-mm. feel like this is so familiar. And I had the same feeling of I'm not getting, I'm not feeling those kind of jolts of insight into like, wow, that's exactly it. You know, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not happening. Um, mm-hmm. Even though definitely at the end of season one, you feel like that's what you're supposed to feel. Um, right. You know, the, the thing that happens is of course there are, the show's building and building and you're getting immense amounts of detail about the key characters relationships and everything all the tensions that are building you know there are going to be major consequences somehow but of course all the consequences fall on the back of the employees the working class the mm-hmm. hotel all of them and the rich people just go on off to their vacation like lives and you know completely consequence free even the person mm-hmm. who, who kills somebody else and you're and you're you're bracketed in that there's a there's a you see that a body's loaded out of the plane at the beginning of the film so you know um, that that's you're, that's going to be accountable. Someone's going to die. Someone in the cast is going to die. And um, in the rave review in Jacobin, I think it's by uh, Alex um, Hotchul. I hope I'm saying his name right. Um, uh, he basically says that's the that's the one cheap trick in the in the show. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching it, going, "No, thank God he did that because <laughs> mm-hmm. that's what's keeping me in the film." <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it really. I mean, in the show, it really is me going. Well, at least I have a hook to lead me through. Because all of these characters are vastly unpleasant and they do seem pretty shallow mm-hmm. and it's not that fascinating at hour long episodes and then an hour and a half. <laughs> if yeah. I didn't have a, all right, who done it? Who's died? You know, and what are all the various calamities that are being built up to? What's exactly going to happen? I don't think I, it would have been harder to make it through for me, the whole series. And I'm a huge Mike White fan. We'll get into a little, a little later. Yeah. I mean, the one, the one thing that, you know, he does do and, you know, there's a, there's a, Oh, I meant to look the, up the guy's name again, but somebody wrote um, uh, an article that basically talks about um, the lopsided structure. So it, it does seem like you're doing a very long, slow build through all this detail of relationships and people's, you know, rich person problems to get to what you know are going to be the vast consequences that are piled on in the last, I don't know, episode and a half, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is trying to do that with the suggestion that the consequences all fall in the working class. But who who doesn't know? It's that feeling of who doesn't know that. That's a kind of revelation when you're, I would think, a much younger exactly. person. Where you're just like, it's always almost, in, with rare, rare exceptions, the whole system is built. And of course, he's clearly trying to make a systemic peak. This is how it works. Mm-hmm. But be, maybe it's also because, you know, not only do I feel like his the characters are a little soap opera-ish and shallowy, like why not just watch, I don't know, Selling Sunset, that real estate show? It totally. It makes a lot of the same moves, actually. You know, they, they, there's a lot of the same, now let's see this person as a human being with problems. We've been scorning them and laughing at them as a stupid rich person, but, mm. you know, mm. it does it does exactly those 
these similar moves that you see. And we're supposed to be scorning them while at the same time we're like, oh, but look at that fabulous resort. Look at that room. Look at yeah. that diamond bracelet. Look at that meal. Look at that. So there's all this wealth porn mm-hmm. to help you along, as well as this, the comfortable scorn of like, ah, rich people are also hopeless and stupid. Sure. And they're not happy, which makes us all happy to think they're not happy. And it's like, really? Neither is anyone else. Neither is anyone else. And they've got all the money. I mean, it seems like that's a pretty, yeah, they're doing better than most. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. My overall take, a little bewildered by by the the huge, same thing, huge reception. Also a feeling of like, this isn't that like wowzers. I'm not getting the insight, but I'm also not getting the level of wit that I expected from Mike. Thank you. My God, it just isn't that funny. And you know, really funny school of rock anyone i mean no one reveres school of rock more than me i love school of rock and you know enlightened you know another show that you know very brief only had two seasons starring laura dern many years back that was you know prescient really ahead of the game in identifying some of these exact same things problems Mm -hmm. you know people a, a woman who's in the corporate world is is not climbing the ladder as fast as she can falls immediately back on you know of course she's going crazy because the whole life is crazy she's she's an alcoholic she's her relationships are all a mess and she goes and takes one trip to swim with the sea turtles and thinks she's enlightened um (laughs) and and, uh, suddenly is all new age and politically woke and everything else and and of course that is shallow too but you can see but the the insight was no that's exactly what happens now that's Mm -hmm. what other movie are you going to get to make i was living in california going crazy at my teaching job and what was i doing yoga and meditation you went to the thing, anything, and alcohol. What, what will help right. you? You go for what's going to help you, and your culture doesn't offer you a lot. Right. So I was a little shocked by that. It's just not that funny, situations-wise or lines-wise, which kind of shocked me. Um, so that's, you know, we're broadly agreeing, but let's, so let's delve in. First, yeah. let's just say, if there's depth, what's the depth? I mean, this is really being talked about as a brilliant, scathing satire. And I'm, tr- and I'm trying to see it. I'm going, why I, am I not seeing it? Hmm. I, yeah, same. Um, I think, so the, the, well, the actors are phenomenal, hmm. but I, the characters baffle me. I, I suppose as a class satire, it makes sense that they hmm. are caricature-ish. Yeah. Few of them things okay certain things resonate well could i just say is the critique supposed to be that 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 that's what wealth does to you that you're big you know grown-up babies you've always been catered to and pampered beyond what what most people can ever hope for so is is that's what i'm trying to if you can give Uh them the benefit of doubt and try to see what's deep is that what's the, the point is that shallowness is a kind of side effect of of wealth I think that that our argument that wealth makes people caricaturish or reduces them um, mm-hmm. maybe could hold for season one because the hotel workers are so, mm-hmm. among the some of the most like uh, not only likable but fleshed out people. Um, definitely mm-hmm. does not extend to season two, where even the people who are like that there are two young hookers, uh, little uh, young Sicilian hookers, um, and they don't have a they don't really have a life um that's like rooted to their place they are very much like every, everyone in season two is a caricature no one mm-hmm. reads to me as a real person with depth um mm-hmm. and so uh, there there might be maybe we can get at this by looking at the character of the concierge or the director um, oh, yeah. in hawaii the director think, character is armand is that armand. right yes and and he's played by marie bartlett yeah who i thought was great and yeah, he's very good 
yeah, he play, he's a he's a gay guy, a recovering addict, and the antics of the guests test his sobriety. <laughs> and mm-hmm. he ends up um at first you're certainly on his side because the guests are awful and you can imagine what it's like to have to answer their demands. Um so he is, you know, he's a stand-in. We we are very much asked to relate to him as a spectator. Um by the end, he unravels. Um, mm-hmm. He he also abuses his position, uh, you know, exchanges uh, pow- favors for sex, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, I didn't find him caricaturish necessarily. Um, moving on to season two, there's an analogous character. It's a woman, Valentina, who's the director of the White Lotus in Sicily. Mm-hmm. And that character made absolutely no sense to me. Um, mm-hmm. She too was supposed to be queer and Mm -hmm. is it's the weirdest (laughs) i've never seen a representation quite like this none of it made any sense to me um she had a very 1950s repressed lesbian thing going where she had a crush on a co-worker someone who works up at the front desk with her um Mm -hmm. she has power so she has the co-worker's boyfriend banished to a different post the boyfriend also works there he works you know in her same general vicinity and then she tries to ask the woman out for a drink um it becomes clear that the woman um you know has this boyfriend that the valentina character didn't know about and and none of it made sense to me because the whole time she's um behaving for lack of a better word, like a man, like mm. with this weird quid pro quo power exchange, which is something that I, I just didn't ring true. It's not that like women are inherently benevolent. It's just like I've never, I've never quite seen this in the in the real world, or I don't know. And Valentina was so estranged from her; she'd like never been with a woman. It seemed mm. weird that she was kind of like manipulating this woman into what, like having sex with her um sex that she's never had the whole Mm -hmm. thing just was like ick um and then Mm. the valentina character or you know our same concierge or director character ends up having sex with this young uh, very young like 18 year old woman Mm -hmm. um prostitute um in a scene that made equally zero sense to me (laughs) (laughs) um it was just all I wish I could articulate this more. I we, I don't want to spend the whole time on this, but like then mm-hmm. Val- Valentina is very femme. Mm-hmm. She's also middle-aged. And I don't mm-hmm. think that she would like pick up this young girl and, and quite that it would go down like that. I would think she would feel like self-conscious about her age mm-hmm. and not the, the whole thing was just, uh, it, it didn't feel like a person. Let me say that the mm-hmm. emotional journey of this character made absolutely no sense to me. <laughs> Mm. And uh, I think the the director characters are supposed to be like the boundary between the rich people and the other people. Right, um, their management. And, exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. My, and my my Valentina critique was just to say nothing about the emotional truth of this person struck me as like anything recognizable or true. <laughs> it's, yeah. It was like some kind of weird theory, um, I think meant to uh, season two's... Um, whole theme is about sex and the way that season one's theme is about money. And Mm -hmm. I think season two was just the Valentina exchange with this young girl was just another like tally in the column of sex is about quid pro quo. It's about Mm -hmm. getting something you want from people. Um, Mm -hmm. Again, fine in theory, but the way it worked out in these, in the character of Valentina anyway, had like zero emotional truth for me. Mm -hmm. Not well, that, and be, yeah, yeah, and I would say because because there's nothing that stands outside it, which I, I assume is just part of the the satire and the critique. Mm-hmm. It's a complete. It's like he he's he's 
White seems to be just showing us that this is completely self-sealed, this system. Like mm. in the in the first season, the only person who seems like he sort of might get outside, you can you can't really take seriously. That's the son of this awful family. <laughs> the woman's, I don't know, a CEO influencer of some sort. I forget what she does, but she's she makes the money for the family. The, the father is this kind of needy, feels weak, mm-hmm. feels like a beta male kind of figure. The kids are all messed up, et cetera. But anyway, the son goes from phone obsessed, you know, uh, inarticulate, can't relate to anyone figure to someone who through sl- having to sleep on the beach for reasons of the selfishness of the family mm-hmm. um, comes to have this appreciation, you know, over the course of the whole series for nature, for the local culture. He falls in with a, a Hawaiian, you know, a, a rowing team and, and in the end decides to stay. As he, as he says, I want to live. I want to really live. Mm. He can't really articulate it. So he he has this thing that you've been kind of wait. It's one of the things you're waiting to see through the whole series. Is he going to decide? I w- I want out. I can recognize this is a terrible life. But he's a 16 year old white kid who's always been rich. Mm-hmm. So it's very hard to believe he's going to be able to withstand truly being on his own in any way. His family will haul him back. He'll run into difficulties. Whatever. Yeah. Um. So, but it's the so so it's this tiny tentative gesture for. Someone at least realizes they it would be better if they could get out. That's the most you can say. Oh, that's true. So, okay, if that's that's something. But like, how can I put this in, in the most extreme way? There's no like Chris Smalls. There's no one who's going to start a union drive in the hotel and be serious <laughs> and articulate and competent and like actually propose a threat to this. There's nothing. There's nothing in this world like that. Mm-hmm. And perhaps that's Mike White's say, way of saying, yeah, the left is so weak. There is no. There's nothing. I mean, the only language of leftism that you hear for want of a better term mm-hmm. and i always want a better term and we don't have seem to have one you can't say progressive i mean that's all stupid terms they put into the mouth of the daughter of that family who's a teen uh, no she's a, she's what a sophomore in college mm-hmm. and her kind of brought along friend paula together they eye roll at everyone and and constantly you know re- remind people of the better values um of the left and are always rebuking their you know Hillary Stan mom and everything else. But by putting these whatever statements they're making into the, you know, they're anti-racist, they're anti, you know, so many things. Um, they, they're trying and they're always ostentatiously reading books by like Freud and yeah. Fanon <laughs> and everything, you know. Um, by putting all those uh, all those statements into their mouths, of course, you immediately undercut them and they're attacked directly late in the series by just saying, look, you, you don't want out of the system. Yeah, you're trying to you're jockeying for your own place within it. You have no intention of doing anything different. That's so true. That is the one good point. I like the way I like the uh-huh. use of the bullshit performative wokeness. Yes, but, <laughs> and I would probably like it as well. Except that's it. Yeah, when you, when the, the only statements like that are put into the mouths of the people you cannot take seriously in any way, shape, or form, you can just see. You know, I hate to be prim about this, but it does seem like okay. You've made this as airless and hopeless as you can in order to, again, to make this point. It's a self-sealing system. It's it's sealed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're not getting out. Everybody's stuck in it. And the only people who are really going to pay are always going to be the bring class. And it's like, yeah, yeah, tell me something I don't know. So it's hard for me to sit there watching this by the hour unless I'm missing something. And that's what I keep being tortured by. So many people that I don't think are stupid sure. really revere this show. And I keep going, why don't I revere this show like at all? So it's very troubling. And to hear that the second season isn't even as interesting as the first. Not even close. Really uh-uh. You know, maybe maybe we could talk about 
you know, because we both love Jennifer Coolidge. Does everybody does, <laughs> and she's got the recurring. She's got the only recurring character. Yeah, yeah. she's in both uh, both seasons. Um, so she plays Tanya McWad. <laughs> <laughs> which is a great name uh she's an heiress but she plays you know her patented character by now it's a variation on it where she's always kind of super she's so offbeat she's off the charts and she's so always so needy and full of just absolutely messy a messy disarray of feelings that spill all over and she has no filter yeah and she's the one who winds up out of sheer neediness, um, roping in poor Belinda, who's of course the masseuse there, into believing she's going to invest in a wellness center for Belinda, and of course, ultimately, then she, then she winds up meeting a guy. She's <laughs> always looking for love and and forgetting all about it and wanting nothing more to do with Belinda. And Belinda has believed this and has drawn up a business proposal and started to emotionally invest. And of course, it all falls apart. And, and she just walks. She leaves her a wad of cash. Speaking of wad, and <laughs> and just and and just. <laughs> runs out while Belinda is weeping and then comes back to get her, she comes back to get her sunglasses or something that she left on the counter yeah. in this wonderfully tiptoeing way. I'm just like, ah, I just don't want to be here to endure this. But at any rate, you know, she's always delightful, but it does seem like, and she's the closest thing to a rich person I've actually met. I have that, that's what I was going to say. I don't know how Coolidge does it. This is the most yeah. outrageous caricature-ish yeah. on the page. And it's but, the most vivid, emotionally true yeah. portrayal in the oh, whole no. series. I, I've known someone. Like right, <laughs> exactly. My, my sad years in Hollywood. You know, yes. I, I was in the room with that person. Yes. <laughs> They're so, unable yeah. to consider others. Yes. Um, it's Even like, though they'll always say they are. They always yeah. want to get... in to be in business with you. They always want to work with you. They always want to help you. They always are going to, you know, foster your career along with their own, whatever. And it never pans out. No. I, I can tell you it never will. They can't focus on you. And it's, it's her selfishness that provides like the few like gasping moments. I mean, uh -huh. if it, you know, the true satire of how awful the, you know, the filthy rich are just like, well, and, and she's interesting. You're right. Because she's awful because she's, there's something bizarrely likable. Yes. About her. Because she's like a baby. It. She is. She's just like a, some sort of, and she, you know, you don't doubt that her mother was horrifyingly abusive. You mm -hmm. know, so she's trying to scatter her mother's ashes and is just going through insane torments and tormenting everyone else. Yes. She can't let her horrifying monster of a mother, not even her ashes go. <laughs> it's endless drama that takes place over, again over the whole season. Um, but she seems like, no, it's hard to hate her for that reason. Exactly that reason. Because she's, She's the baby who's just a bottomless pit of need. Mm -hmm. Really was made into that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's true. Way, yeah, that you rec that you can recognize. Yeah. But it's interesting because the show's not asking forgiveness for her. It's, no, no, oh. and mm -hmm. she. Uh, I don't know. I, yeah, it might be the one true note of satire. And it works because it's both, you know, both like points out the power dynamics and. Mm -hmm has emotional truth to it like mm -hmm. like really she there you know you exactly you've met people like that but the disappointment mm -hmm. for me is none of the other characters are that good none of the other characters are that true mm -hmm. and it's not the actors the actors are fantastic mm -hmm. just like uh, maybe armand reads as someone who's kind of real but everyone else was just like a you could tell that they're an archetype and there's nothing yeah. else to them and it's not it's not good enough because we and know he, this you know, story and that's important to note because they're all, again, like Selling Sunset, they're, they're almost all going to be given their moment to yeah. show, to reveal the emotional contradiction that they're really very, whatever, traumatized, upset, sad. They all feel, of course, like victims, every damn one of them, which does seem true. 
But again, yeah. that doesn't seem like, yeah, who doesn't know this? But maybe maybe there are a lot of people who don't know this and are like, oh my God, what a revelation. It doesn't know. matter how rich and how pampered they are, they're victims, always. This is, well, so this yeah, is no. one of the, one of my most hated, okay, if y'all want to read the worst review out there about oh, this yeah. show, uh, it was written recently in the New York Times by someone named Karina Chocano, who, oh who wrote, In White Lotus, Beauty and Truth are all mixed up. Oh and God. her, um, she, th- yeah, she seems to think that this is a revelation um, that, you know, people... Uh, well, that, that's not quite true. We were <laughs> a friend of ours. Uh, it was it was uh, Yevgenia who uh, mm. used to host co-host the show. Mm-hmm. She she posted some very hilarious take from the internet that White Lotus does did more for the communist cause <laughs> than you know anything else in recent memory because it pointed out how sad rich people are. Oh um, my god! Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and I mean, Yevgenia was not. She was not endorsing that take. <laughs> but, um, oh but but you know I. And I pointed to this review, and this review is about not only the White Lotus, uh, but mm. the author makes a belabored and uh, not defensible <laughs> um, comparison to uh, the films of Antonioni, particularly um, La Ventura. And, mm. um, you know, it basically talks about, um, yeah, but, you know, rich people like to see their troubles aestheticized. And I was like, exactly. This is no, at the end of the day, this is no critique at all. Everyone knows the rich are sad. Everyone else is sad, too. At least the rich gets a <laughs> <laughs> you get to vacation <laughs> at the White Lotus, you know. Like th- this is not a this is this is not a new um, ugh, uh, stories about the idle rich <laughs> have been circulating since time began. You know, um, well, and that is the thing. It's it's such familiar material. I mean, when have we not watched shows like? Yeah. Like it just seems like you know everyone loves to watch the rich. Yeah. For not, again, not only the wealth born, but to discover, yes, they all have feelings and they have too many feelings. <laughs> They're yeah. way too into their own feelings and their own problems and their own, which they always blow up to be as big as the world. Yep. And with a lack of self-consciousness that's quite breathtaking. And again, the you can go anywhere <laughs> on series after series and there's a million of these. They're just not highfalutin in any way. <laughs> they're exactly. Really, they're really down and dirty um often you know kind of uh, you know documentary style you know shit that it's all about exactly this that's the fascination you but how long can you watch it even while i i wrote Thank a review you. on selling sunset and i'm like okay i made it through x number of episodes more almost more than i could bear how can you but people do i mean it's been on for years people can endlessly watch you know the new whatever the, the beverly hills housewives and then they move it to another location and everyone will watch that it's endless. This and the what, more awful they behave, of course, they're clearly very canned at a certain point because they all know how outrageous do I have to be in my conspicuous consumption and my airheaded narcissism. Uh, you, there's no ceiling. You just get bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. So in, in a, against a playing field like that, you're like, Mike White is just doing your, what you would say, a version of the well-made play mm-hmm. based on a, like selling sunset, but on yes. vacation, which they often do. They go on vacation, the whole crew. <laughs> okay. And even, I mean, I'm sure you've read Mike White loves reality television. Oh, well, that totally explains it. And that's why I was just going, no, that he's making that move. That's the move they make. It's really astonishing. Yeah. Oh, that, that now I, now I, now it's clear. He's doing it directly from that. He's yeah. like taking that as a template. Okay. Yeah. And this is what, okay. Oh, yeah. So we're getting down to it. So this is what's so obnoxious. If yeah. we could all just admit that it's fun to watch rich people in like beautiful environments and let yeah. it go. I, fine. 
you know, but this, this is pulling that move of, oh, we're, aren't we like, oh, we're so self-conscious, uh, you know, mm-hmm. we're the worst, right? But it, there, it's actually not self-conscious enough because as you say, it goes on and on and on. And it's mm-hmm. like, I, who can give a shit about these people for, mm-hmm. you know, eight to 10 hours? Mm-hmm. And so it's like this, back to this horrendous review from the New York Times, which really bothers me. Uh, mm-hmm. this is, so this woman is writing about La Ventura and this, okay. this review is making this same move of, I know I'm, I'm rich and, um, you know, I'm privileged, um, and I'm self-conscious about it, but not self-conscious enough. So -hmm. this woman writes, um, you know, it was love. She's telling us about Antonioni, which is also like awful and inaccurate. And you don't even want to read most of this review. But mm. <laughs> she goes, it was La Ventura with its focus on the alienation of the moneyed that made Antonioni internationally famous. I know this, says the writer, because I took an Italian neorealism class during a junior year abroad in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> And not surprisingly, I suppose, for the kind of person who takes an Italian neorealism class during a junior year in Paris, I too preferred Antonioni's trilogy about disaffected rich people to the stuff that had come before. Children stealing bicycles, Anna Magnani worrying about unpaid bills, that sort of thing. Struggle is hard to watch. It's much more pleasant to have our moral judgments projected into a world of aestheticized escapist pleasure. I feel like this is the voice of White Lotus. It's like, yeah, I'm the worst and I know, I know, I I don't like to watch those people mucking around in the dirt, but like, wouldn't you rather watch this darling? And it's like, you know, not for that long. No, No, I wouldn't. Don't you just want it all in mink? Can't you just have the mink line version? Yes. Yes. Oh my God. Of how immoral we all are. God. No, yeah. No, I, I have a horrible, hor- this is so insulting and I apologize in advance, but I can't help it. <laughs> Doesn't this seem like for prestige TV watchers, this is like you're given this because you'd never watch Selling Sunset or the equivalent? Isn't, isn't yes. That like, so you can be like, oh, this is profound. I've never seen anything like this. Right. And it's, uh, it's like, are you kidding? <laughs> this is just a mashup of like, you know, the topsoil of Edward Albee meets, um, I don't know who the fuck else. Uh, oh, well, in season two, Antonioni, they're just quotations, but they're like, they're only, it's like the worst of, it's not the worst of postmodernism, but it's a pretty bad, like, pastiche of mm. a lot of these things that, you know, it loses all context. And can it, okay, speaking of context, can we get mm. into the way, I actually thought, like, Hawaii was dealt with a little more um, meaningfully than Sicily. Mm. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I don't know, I thought it was a pretty decent um, season one did a pretty mm-hmm. decent job of illustrating the racial politics and I, uh, of the place. And I thought it did a pretty decent job. I like that the white kid at the end has only one fantasy left to him, and that's to retreat into the world yeah. of, you know, the indigenous Polynesians, which yeah. is a world that doesn't belong to him and in a world that, you know, his ancestors helped to make very small and nearly extinct. Um, and, well, actually, uh, well, you yeah. finish, and I'll I'll do my caveat. Okay, great, great. <laughs> I, and I, well, I thought that was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. It's like I, I think it does a good job of pointing out the void of a certain type of whiteness. You mm-hmm. know, if you if you join the White Lotus, if you join mm-hmm. any luxury anything all over the world, the world is the same. You know, the world of luxury is homogenous, no matter if you're in like Singapore or Hawaii or Sicily, and that's what I think is kind of you know it, not whatever it's been done, but that's what's true about Mm -hmm. the series um and i like that for in season one 
they're those two bratty college students. Yeah. Um, you know, one is a a white girl and one is a young woman of color. And the young the young woman of color is dating um an indigenous Hawaiian guy. And uh she understands the stakes for him. He gets caught stealing and it ruins his life. Um, and, and like, she's the one who egged him on. No, yeah, she egged him on to do it. She gives, gets him into the safe of the family that she's staying with. Basically. It, yeah. And she, she has to confront like she, you know, as a young woman of color, who's traveling mm-hmm. in the circles uh, with the, with these white wealthy people, you know, she's straddling both worlds. But at the end of the day, I think um, she's able to have, because of her, like, contact with this guy Mm -hmm. and also the fact that she herself is not white like i think she gets a a greater sense of the urgency um or the you know the the way that most people's lives are at the whims of of the people who vacation at the white lotus um and i thought that was like reasonably well handled um yeah i thought that certainly the the ending when you're like what's she gonna do what she she little the guy didn't want to do it (laughs) his name is kai um, and he's super handsome and he's, yeah, he's, he's the entertainment they're, they're doing like the, <laughs> their indigenous rights they're doing for the entertainment, of course, of the white Lotus guests. So he's one of the ones doing it. Yeah. And she persuades him like, no, there's this, these bracelets are in the safe that are worth $75,000 each. This is how you get in. And she gets, she arranges the whole thing. And then through a series of terrible flukes, he's, he's caught and he's clearly going to go to jail for God knows how long. And she's ruined his entire life. And she's just. And then she goes through a period of like mourning of like a couple, must be what, a day or two. Mm -hmm. But then it's all about how she can get her way back in. Because of course the friend, you know, the the friend that she's with knows that she did it and is saying, I won't, I won't rat you out. But you know, so it's by the end, she's like, she's like, I messed up and she's weeping and she's getting embraced back into the family. But Mm -hmm. you you start to realize like there's a moment where the necklace that, that Kai had given her, she drops over the side of the luxury boat touring boat that the family is on where now the problem becomes how do I undo what I just did, which would put me on the outs with this family and this whole way of life. Mm -hmm. And she's clamors back into it. Mm -hmm. That did seem kind of like, yeah, you could see as as grief stricken as she is. She's more, she's, she's only known that guy for a few days. She's guilty. She's done something terrible. But on the other hand, is she really going to, torpedo her chances um in this way and the answer is no so that that was kind of good that i mean for me the the weirdness was his speech like you know i thought i honestly thought he was a con man who was gonna work her Mm. for something because he he suddenly makes it you know they're having a little romance whatever and he says yes this hotel is built on the very land that belonged to my ancestors and now i have and it was such a canned speech yeah oh my god he must use this on so many girls, you know, tourists, so many girls <laughs> who show up or tourists and get stuff out of them. And that's what I thought for sure. And no, instead, and there's a purely indigenous Hawaiian culture being presented, which as we know, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. It's not, not quite possible or <laughs> true. Know, very, yeah. very mixed race, you know, and I know there's, there, there are, there's a hierarchy of, of where you are in the, you know, like anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so they don't, there's nothing complicated. Yeah. In, in those terms, in terms of what the population of the island does not use, as if there are these pure Hawaiian guys yeah. <laughs> who now are entertainers for the white people, and that's it. So there are Hawaiians and you know, the white people, and that's the white tourists. Oh, you're right. I forgot about that. Yeah, he doesn't. He is very like pure of heart, isn't he? Oh my god. Yeah, he's so pure at heart that you're like, really? That's, <laughs> that's annoying. 
Yeah. Well, and it just, I just set me off. Given the, the tone of the show, I thought I was following up the tone of the show. I'm like, oh, of course, of course. He sees this opportunity. He's going to work her for, yeah. <laughs> because he believes that she's really, um, really concerned in that serious way um, that doesn't have make any lasting impression. And just to know, well, suddenly it was played absolutely straight. Don't worry, because in Sicily, everyone hustles everyone. Everyone hustles. (laughs) (laughs) But I have to say, there's like zero, the Sicily one, although there are many, you know, they're beautiful, like Palazzi and like, Mm. you know, gorgeous coast and a couple of ruins and a winery or two. Mm. There's no sense of the actual people who live there. Uh And they're the two indigenous characters are um, these two girls, they're hookers, Mm. and they're, they're adorable. I like them both. They have really delightful screen presences there's one the one who sleeps with valentina is a musician and she wants more than anything to have a gig playing in the hotel bar at the white lotus she eventually gets her wish and she's really cute Mm -hmm. and um you know just kind of like twinkly and mischievous they both are but you have no sense of what their life is like you don't know where they go home to after they leave the white lotus Mm -hmm. um they hang out there all the time at the at the bar just you know trying to like sleep with guests and get what they can um once the f Murray Abraham character mentions um, that unemployment, that there's a lot of unemployment in Sicily. Mm. Unemployment in Sicily for young people is like 25%. (laughs) Like, it's really high. It's like, a, you know, desperately impoverished. But you get no sense of Sicily beyond tourist destinations. And I thought that was that was kind of lame. Um, yeah. So it makes the, you know, the class critique in the second season is much less obvious. And I guess it's because, as Mike White says, season yeah. one is supposed to be the money critique. You know, season two is the sex critique. Um, but nonetheless, um, and I don't know if it's it's time to get into it, but, it you know, it's a view of sex as only a power move. That's mm-hmm. the, you know, there's like no... There's almost nothing redemptive in anyone's exchange in season two. Mm. Husbands and wives cheat to get the upper hand. Um, Sometimes Mm. their cheating turns them on, which I guess is like, okay, well, um, you know, maybe you get to a point where you've each harmed each other in highly specific ways so that Mm -hmm. getting back together is its own power play and that's fun. but yeah, it was it was pretty empty to me, or at least not like a wide spectrum of 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 what that could mean. And it seemed like sex was always tied to money in season two. There's no one who had sex outside of money. Um, so mm-hmm. that that's you know, that's not all there is in the world <laughs> to, to sex, I don't think. But I think it's like related to this fact that like no one. There was no world outside the White Lotus in Sicily. It was just well, I think, so that does sound like it's a consistent thing. So yeah, really, the first one is is like that too. It's like there's no there's no world that you can take that you can get any sense of that's available to anyone that anyone could get outside of. Mm-hmm. Same kind of thing. So mm-hmm. he wants to do that through first money and then sex, which are related. Money again, really. Yeah, <laughs> we're back to money again. I guess so. I guess. Uh. So. And I heard, I've heard the characters, um, so I told you how weird, weirdly the Valentina character uh-huh. sat with me and I've heard them talk, uh, the actors talk in those little like extra interviews. Mm. And, um, I think for the Valentina character, perhaps this was Mike White's intention because mm. this is like a coming out for her. Like when right. she first sleeps with that young girl, it's the first time that, you know, she's supposed to have some big epiphany and maybe, uh, life more possibilities are supposed to open up for her, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. It just seemed, 
and I guess that's supposed to be what something progressive, like, you know, if you have a queer experience, then you can have like another kind of life. I mean, I'm down to go with that kind of logic. But the fact that and I don't I don't mean to be moralizing about this. It's not that I don't think someone could hire a prostitute. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just I don't think Valentina would. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just don't like she she's very responsible. She was very repressed. I don't think like a fairly femme woman in her 50s with a good job is going to on a dime just decide to sleep with an 18 year old and that's going to change her life mm-hmm. um, or it's going to change her life for the better. Mm-hmm. Um And I, again, it's not that I think that like sex is meaningless. I think that it's just like none of that jived with the way she had lived so far. I don't think like there's nothing that shows what would drive her to be very different from to do something very different. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah. And I just don't think like the like the way she's lived her life so far is like really responsible and um except when not it's just like the way she's interacting with this these women is like it's like a man it's like a weird repressed man and it i I don't know i'm gonna work on this i'm not being very articulate about it but Mm -hmm. like the whole time i was watching it with lauren my partner and we were like no (laughs) like none of this Mm -hmm. is i don't know it's just not Mm -hmm. it i don't know a single human being who would behave like this Mm -hmm. um but i think like mike white was trying to say like um you know sex is about it's an exchange of power but maybe sometimes that can lead you to like you know epiphanies that will change your life but like Mm -hmm. also okay i just didn't buy it It, again it was like a caricature-ish it seemed like an intellectual experiment without um, like emotional truths. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only character who reads true emotionally is freaking Tanya McWad. <laughs> like <laughs> in the whole damn thing. And I think it might just be Jennifer Coolidge's genius. Yeah. Uh, it does seem like they must have written that character for her. I mean, it's so consistent with like her best in show character. Yeah. And, played this before. Yeah. <laughs> she really owns this, <laughs> this kind of character that she does so well. Yeah. I, you know, it's not like I have such vast experiences with the rich. Certainly Mike White by now has much faster yeah <laughs> but i have to say yeah we've already mentioned but that that's the only one i really recognized as like in a tricky in, in this tricky way is like no that's that seemed right yeah. um you know who knows now he's rich you know you always have to factor that right? in what happens to people <laughs> as you know they're more and more entrenched in the world that they might very well be wanting to critique and it's sure you're an insider but you're an insider now. It's yeah. also so you do have to wonder. I also have to wonder about, again, that kind of fatalism of there's no way out of this, at least in the scope of the show. That's it. That's what are it. the joys of fatalism? It seems like there's got to be a real, there's got to be, this has got to make people happy in some way. Like, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> okay. So thank you for bringing this yeah. up. So I, Eileen, you haven't quite gotten to the end of season two, right? No. Okay. All right. So there's an uh, almost final scene. I don't know. Um, towards the end of the finale mm. of season two, uh, my favorite little hooker uh, has finally gotten her gig playing the piano at the White mm. Lotus. Um, and there's a like a montage and mm. all of these couples have fucked each other over. Uh, they're mm. like, we've got our there's like a foursome. There are two couples vacationing together. The the husbands were best friends in college. This this foursome has like pulled a Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, uh, you know, the whole time throughout the whole season, messing mm-hmm. with each other, sleeping with each other to get revenge. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And at the end, um, uh, Aubrey Plaza is uh, the part, the woman part of the couple we're most supposed to identify with. Um, and her husband finally, after having stabbed each other in the back throughout the whole show, have sex on their final night. Mm-hmm. And um, they, this montage of this little girl singing, you know, plays over them as they finally, you know, just like torture each other enough back into bed. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Uh, we see there, there's a, a trio, a grandfather played by F. Murray Abraham, a father played by Michael Imperioli and uh, their grandson. Mm-hmm. And they're all womanizers of different stripes. Right. The, gran- the grandson falls in love with the hooker that the father hired on the first night. <laughs> Mm-hmm. ends up ends up blackmailing his father into giving him $50,000 to give to this young woman mm-hmm. um in exchange for the son's help in putting in a good word with his mother so that she'll accept his father back into her good graces after he cheated mm-hmm. so everyone's playing each other um mm-hmm. you know it's quid pro quo and the, but the this trio of men there's like a warm feeling between them at the end they're all sitting at dinner <laughs> They've all Mm -hmm. made their negotiations, you know, probably all slept with the same woman at some point Mm -hmm. um, as O Solomio plays, you know, over them. Mm -hmm. And it's like everyone at the end ends up, uh, except for Jennifer Coolidge's character, and I won't Mm -hmm. I won't say more, but, um, Mm -hmm. you know, everyone ends up uh, kind of lit in candlelight, (laughs) um, enjoying a beautiful meal with this pretty music playing over them. And and they've all done awful things to each other. And is this satire though? You know, like at Mm -hmm. the end of the day, it's, you're almost asked to just go on and think like, well, they'll be all right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. I don't fucking know. I can't discern the tone of it, but I, I, I was thinking to myself, it's so very easy to forget how they all just manipulated each other. It doesn't even, mm-hmm. and I can't explain it. It doesn't, at the end of an Edward Albee play or, you know, the penultimate scene, you feel nauseated. Mm-hmm. I don't feel nauseated here. It's like, it almost doesn't let me feel nauseated. Mm-hmm. I know that they've done all this bad shit, but in a way I don't care enough to feel nauseated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. You feel me? <laughs> no, I do. I do. Right. I, just, I think, I think it's, you know, from what it's, you're describing, it sounds a lot more like they, he tried to have more of that impact and achieved it for a lot of people in the first season. Yeah. Where that, where that there's no consequence to, to this. <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a nightmare honeymooning couple that are young. And then when the, when the, the murder happens, it's the, it's the man who's this horrible fratty, you know, baby man, jock. He's yeah. been a nightmare. Talk about caricature. He's been just irredeemably awful, which I guess is fairly believable. Yeah. <laughs> Throughout the entire show, he's horrible. And of course, she's and she's realizing over the course of the whole time she doesn't come from money. That, as she puts it, she's made a terrible mistake. But she winds up coming back to him anyway. Just such as the sheer pull of, you know, money and inertia and not knowing what the hell else to do and being weak willed and all sorts of other things. She's just going to gravitate right back into the marriage she does. But there's that there's no consequence for him whatsoever. You don't even get you don't even you see him briefly in a kind of far away shot talking to the police. But you can just tell by his whole body language. They're just going to ask him what happened. Sure. He'll tell them. And there was an intruder. I had to I had to defend myself. You know, there's going to be no there is no consequence. And they've made him so loathsome. If there's a true out and out villain in the show in this first season, it's him. Yeah. And you know, he's going to get away. with. So, you know. 
it does. There's a bigger attempt to kind of slam home the "there's no consequences" message in a way that I think is supposed to resonate with you. Whether it does or not, I don't know. It seems to depend on how much you find that a revelation. I don't. I don't. Yeah, exactly. It seems like sure we knew this. <laughs> you we know? all we live this every day. This yeah. is so. Yeah, this has been represented in many, many ways, you know, and we see it and it's, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how, how you could think anything else was going to happen, especially as soon as you see the environs of the White Lotus. Yeah. The whole point is <laughs> it's all, everything is to protect and pamper these people and everyone working there has to live to protect and pamper these people. And it, that just, just, it will extend effortlessly into whatever happens. Yes. And yeah, that just doesn't seem surprising, but at least it sounds like there was more of an effort in that case to, to dramatize. Um, by building up, we're going to, we're going to figure out, we're going to find out who's dead. And then we come back to the airport and now we know who did it. And we know he's consequence free. Yeah. His wife even comes back to him. Um, I, yeah. It, I can't, I was trying to like rack my brain because I heard Mike White on yeah. uh, NPR with Terry, Terry, his own Terry Gross, uh, Fresh mm. Air. And, um, he was saying what an influence Edward Albee was on him. Yeah. Um, and Edward Albee is one of my favorite playwrights too. Mm. And obviously I can see it in terms of the fucked up dynamics and people messing mm. with each other. But I was trying to articulate to myself, why do I find so much more humanity in say George and Martha from who's afraid of Virginia Woolf mm. than these people? And it, I don't know, but at the end of the day, they like George and Martha are so they are so bound up in each other and everything mm. they do in their very twisted way is for each other. And mm. in a way in the white Lotus, I think everything everyone does is for themselves. Mm. <laughs> um, and I mean, also they're like far less clever and interesting. Right. <laughs> George not Martha. nearly the brilliant extremes of George and Martha anywhere. Yeah. We witnessed, yeah, and which and has I, its own propulsive fascination, which the show doesn't have. Yeah, exactly. even when you're seeing monstrous families interacting, it's like the 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 main family when the husband and wife, you know, come together and seem to reconcile, and you know, have sex and everything. It, it's so unmoving, and I don't see how it could be. You know, you don't care. Their their dynamic is so vapid. You yeah. can't even call it a dynamic. It's too dynamic a word to call it. Yeah. Dynamic. Just not, you just don't care. They're just vapid rich people who, there they are, and they say platitudinous things to each other to make it all sound bigger, and they probably believe it. Mm -hmm. But their lives are just empty. Um, there's just a vast emptiness about them that, again, makes it very hard to care. Like, how can you care about this family? For sure. It maybe season two approaches that they um, these gay guys uh, who are sort of playing Jennifer Coolidge, they take her to the opera mm. and they go to see Madame Butterfly. And uh, the whole, you know, the whole time they're building her up and telling her you're Madame Butterfly, you're mm. a diva. And she gets very invested in the story because she sees her own very minor and uninteresting <laughs> travails and personal tragedies as as operatic ones. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe maybe that is to your point. Um, oh, and that, that does. That makes it sound like, okay, he knows this. Mike mm -hmm. White knows this. And he's he, he makes it clearer in season two that, yes, they all. But again, I, that seems obvious. I Right. Uh, <laughs> it's like, how many times can we, like, can we beat this horse? Like, yeah, yeah. exactly. Sorry. We're, we really are beating the dead horse. But, you know, we, again, maybe, we, maybe we're unusual in this. Maybe it's revelatory for people. I get, that's all I can think as I was sitting there slogging the hours going, yeah. I, remember, I love Mike White. This is weird. <laughs> um, unless I am missing something. I, and, I, and I read around trying to find all you keep see, seeing over, at least all I can find is over and over. 
it just is a brilliant satire because it does these harsh presentations of the rich. It's not that harsh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. There's that. It doesn't even seem that harsh. This yeah. is hardly like satires of juvenile level, <laughs> level, uh, um, cutting, um, disgusted, uh, horrified, uh, vision of the rich. They're just, they're, they're, it's all fairly boring. Yeah. I, I got it. I got to second yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, the, sex, the sex season isn't helping, I guess. Huh? No, it's not. And it's also really, um, Oh man, I don't know. Uh, it's not sexy somehow. <laughs> so, oh no, really? You know, oh. It's it's bad. It's um, and actually, now that I think of the rest of his oove, I haven't seen Chuck and Buck, so that I might be wrong about that. But yeah, I don't. Yeah, sex, sex isn't his thing. I'm That's not his thing. <laughs> it's not his thing. He shouldn't. <laughs> uh, it was it was weird, and it was uh, again, it doesn't ring true. That that's the and maybe it does for that like straight couple manipulating one another. I don't know. They didn't seem like real people to me. Aubrey Plaza's in it. She's wonderful. Um, oh, I know there's some certain cast members that are so beloved. Like Molly, isn't it Molly Shannon who plays the mother of the horrible flat Freddy Jack? Is it Molly Shannon? No. Who is it? Um, a beloved comedian who's wonderful. And I'm, why am I saying Molly Shannon? It isn't her. Oh, in season one? Yeah, in season one. Oh, I don't remember. Maybe. Oh, she's really, she's very good. Uh, and I won't be able to find it. Uh, Sorry. Um, yes. No. Molly Shannon. It is Molly Shannon. Yes. Okay, Molly I have Shannon. no memory of that. <laughs> she only has a short, she shows up on the honeymoon and completely coddles him. And you oh, see yes, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes. It's, it's only for like one episode. Okay. Um, but at any rate, so there's these really nice, you know, actors that you just love. Aubrey Plaza, I always love her. Um, yeah. So you know, Jennifer Coolidge. So there's certain people who are just, who are kind of sprinkled throughout, who are really just inherently kind of delightful to watch. So Totally. Good at that. Yeah. Totally. And that's, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, is it worth your time? If you're looking for depth, I say no. If you're, But if you're looking for something, you know, pretty and amusing to pass, I don't know, 20 hours, then, you know, <laughs> go for it. God, why are these things so long? Um, <laughs> really long. There's so much detail. You can't believe it. Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, yeah. It takes itself too seriously. There are too many, like, I, I, I would just, if we could just admit, like, it's a very well-made um soap opera then i'd be much more at ease with this yeah, thing yeah it well isn't... you know what it's distressing to me because my friend of mine has a theory which is a yeah, it's pretty a pretty basic observation but a true one that very often very very talented people that you admire their 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 great talent show early and that they don't get widespread acceptance until they're much more like it's it's their lesser works are late that come mm. later and are much more successful. And you're like, what happened to them? If you loved them all along, it's a little bit, the classic, you know, they used to be cool, but not anymore. Yeah. But it really is a kind of phenomenon. And it seems like just watching this, I was like, I would never have guessed this was Mike White. Never, never. If I mm. hadn't known, I was watching it just going, really? He's so funny though. What happened to him? <laughs> I'm so sorry yeah. for your loss. <laughs> yeah, I really, I was startled because you know you had told me you were you were. That's how it started. This and Dolores was watching. I guess you started watching season two, and you were so yeah. not impressed that I thought oh, I got it. Well, I got, we should do a show on it, and I got to tackle White Lotus because you know there's certain lefty viewing that's required, and I haven't done any of it. I haven't watched Succession. <laughs> I mean, there's a whole raft of shows now, and that's another problem, perhaps. A yeah. number of reviewers are mentioning, we now have a lot of this, a lot of this content. And I certainly feel it. There's a lot of, there's a lot of highly praised stuff as if it's really, really just, oh my God, what a scathing, you know, triangle of sadness for me. Oh, yeah. 
same thing. Just re- people revere that thing. They think it's winning. You know, it's, it's up for every possible award. It's considered the greatest film ever made in the year and all this <laughs> other jazz. And I'm just like, it's so soft. And in the end, it does that comforting. You know, we were doing a class critique, but actually everyone sucks, you know? Right. Well, you know, if, if you're a working class person and you get any power, you'll do exactly the same thing. If you get, if you, if you get the resources, you'll, you'll just become a shit too. Yeah. So, you know, we all suck. End of story. And then you're like, oh, well, that's comfortable. <laughs> yeah. So nothing to be done, huh? Okay. Well, we just rock along then. For um, sure. Yeah. yeah. And really. maybe that's what happens when you end with the story of the rich, you know, like they get the last word. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's rich vision. You feel like you're watching rich vision. This is big. These time. are rich people commenting on rich people and saying, yeah, but, we're, but doing that thing. But we know we're awful. Yeah. And, you know, and you're like, okay, now great. Now everyone knows. <laughs> yeah. And what do we do with that? Well, there's nothing we can do with that. So it, perfect. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. So go along, then so we'll just continue. Yeah. 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 Um, I think so. I think so. I think. And maybe, I don't know, maybe the answer would be like if the lives of the people of the island, you know, in Hawaii or on Sicily, if they had lives <laughs> that had any kind of like texture on the screen or, mm. um, or interiority, um, yeah. then maybe that would be like a meaningful counterpoint that would, you know, I guess provide, yeah, hope, an alternative, <laughs> um, or even or just- an even more angry critique damning right a more damning critique if you want to do a critique let's fucking do one totally totally feel like this is pretty toothless yeah Um, yeah every time there's an influencer every time i feel like now there's a series of generic character types that ever that just read as oh they're so awful that you don't even have to do anything more you know it just seems like that's 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 everywhere now yeah Yeah. i think you're right i think you're right so (laughs) i don't want or have we i think we've beaten this horse yeah this 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 expensive thoroughbred horse is dead (laughs) (laughs) and then it's off the cliff (laughs) we ran it off the yacht we ran it right off the yacht yeah Ah, so that is it for our episode that we are calling white lotus playing in the shallow end Thank you, dear listeners. And of course, triple thanks to our subscribers who keep us in White Lotus Rewards member benefits. <laughs> really, we're so grateful. <laughs> uh, if you're not a subscriber yet, but you like what you hear, please consider signing up with Patreon for all of the FilmSuck content instead of just half. You can follow news of the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Join us in two weeks for more fabulous film talk on the FilmSuck. And oh, don't think we've forgotten. We have not forgotten that we owe you an extra special episode because we had technical difficulties and had to... Um, cancel last time we i've talked uh dolores into or i rather she came up with the idea <laughs> uh, of doing an alternative you know christmas movie because she's you know, the standard product is not her thing so we're gonna come up with all alternative favorite christmas movies um for our extra special episode so until then thank you once again for listening see y'all thanks bye bye